the default for a lot of founders is like grind, hustle, you know, be productive. But it really, the discipline comes when you kind of have to like force yourself as messed up as this sounds, but you have to force yourself to let loose. You have to force yourself to have fun because then you're going to get to this end goal, whatever your end goal is. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, I didn't live my life during this time. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today's guest you may recognize for a number of reasons, but specifically from the cover of the Startup CPG Spotlight magazine. Ali Bonner, co-founder, CEO, and chief vibes officer of Oat House and other members of the Oat House team were featured in last winter's magazine edition. So today we get to hear the latest news, but podcast style. Oat House makes the world's first oat-based spread, granola butter. Born out of Ali's eating disorder recovery, the mission behind the brand is to bring fun and play to food. Allie and her two other co-founders were on Shark Tank season 13 in October of 2021. So make sure to check out that episode of the show. And if you love Shark Tank, make sure to listen to our recent interview with Alexio Gibson, number 57, where we do a deep dive on Shark Tank and that experience. It's going to come through in this conversation how much I love the Oat House granola butter products. But since we recorded, I did also get my brownie batter pre-release order and it is decadent. Somehow it's like eating brownie batter out of the bowl, but without the stomach ache or the top allergens. It's not going to last long in our house. Listen in to hear from Allie more about Oat House's founding story, the behind the scenes of their recent flavor hype drop and how they started collaborating with Jamila Jamil, Oat House's first marketing and sales hires, how they secured a national Sprouts launch and how they've supported that launch with influencer marketing, the realities of mental health as a founder, riding the ups and downs of publicity like Shark Tank and more. Plus, I've loaded up the show notes with lots of links. Hi, Allie. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so excited to have you here. Uh, in I was so excited for the episode that I ran downstairs, took a huge bite of uh, granola butter, the original, and then was like, as a podcaster, I'm not sure eating a huge spoonful of like butter right before you yeah. uh, record was the best for audio quality, but I have no regrets. It was, uh, it was totally worth it. So delicious. So just so happy to, um, to get to have you on the show and get to talk about the, the wonderful behind the scenes of, of O House. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And I totally, (laughs) I totally feel you. Um, I actually shoot pretty much all of our TikTok content and I mean, Instagram, like a lot of content that we use. And so it's like lots of recipe stuff. And so I'm always, you know, people are like, do you eat everything you make? And I'm like, absolutely. Like, (laughs) of course, I'm not going to throw it away. And so it's funny because sometimes I'll just like, you know, I don't even cook lunch or breakfast because I'm like, well, I know I'm going to be making a bunch of recipes today. So (laughs) I'll just go to town on those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so delicious. There's so many recipes I want to try like on your Instagram and everything, but I haven't, I've mostly just, I haven't broken away from eating, uh, eating it with a spoon, uh, very far. I haven't branched out much, but you know, again, no regrets, delicious. <laughs> Aww, thank you. So I'd love if you could kind of tell us a little bit, like, can you describe Oat House to us, like some of the flavors and a little bit about the product itself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So for anyone listening who has never heard of granola butter, um, don't, don't panic. You know, it's a new idea. Um, you're not out of the loop. It is how I describe it to people is, you know, texture of a nut butter, um, texture of cookie butter, sort of that same idea as a, a spread, but it's actually oat based. So, but you know, you could use it the same way you would use a peanut butter. So you could put it on toast or fruit or in your smoothies or protein shakes. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, Jesse, a lot of people just eat it straight out of the jar. I actually just pulled our Instagram audience the other day. Um, and it was about 50-50. I was curious, you know, do most people eat it with a spoon yeah. like I do? Or is it like on things or, you know, in recipes? And it was about half and half. So I feel like with more, we have, yeah, in terms of flavors, we have more kind of desserty flavors that we've been coming out with. So we just um, launched the brownie batter. We have cookie dough, birthday cake. And I think those ones are definitely way more spoonable. Um, like I'm not really sure. I mean, there's definitely recipes you could use them in, but it's just... 
I don't know. I just spoon them. Um, but then our, we have original vanilla, you know, strawberry shortcake. Like those I think are more conducive for like putting on toast, um, you know, in your smoothies and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the idea for our product came out of my eating disorder recovery. So I struggled for over a decade with, you know, multiple eating disorders, um, finally hit rock bottom. And I'm happy to go more into that journey if you want to as well. But um, yeah, I mean, in my recovery, I was adding my fear foods back into my diet and um, just couldn't digest nuts at the time. My body was kind of a mess and um, really wasn't excited about the nut-free spreads that were currently on the market. And so started kind of exploring in my kitchen and created my own. And that's um, where the idea for our product came from. Yeah. Wow. And it's, and it's free from like the top certain number of allergens too, right? Yeah. Top 14. Um, so I joke with people that it's like pretty much air, but <laughs> it, it's not. Um, it's mostly just oats and, you know, some oils, maple syrup, some spices, and it's pretty much it. Yeah. I saw on the label, it says like, allergen-free coconut oil. Is that something you had to like specifically source to make sure that it was nut-free? Yeah, that's a great question. So that, yeah, so we use RBD coconut oil, which means refined bleached deodorized. And um, the FDA basically classifies that as allergen-free because during the processing, um, the allergenic proteins are actually disrupted. And so that was totally news to me, you know, before obviously starting this company, I had no idea that was a thing. But I mean, coconuts in general are, you know, the FDA classifies them as a tree nut. Um, They're actually a droop. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are allergic to tree nuts, like many of them aren't, you know, coconut is like a very random one for them to include. So, um, yeah, so we really struggled in the beginning. We're like, should we just use coconut oil? And so then when we found this, uh, allergen free option, it was just like a godsend for us because obviously, you know, we wanted to be respectful of the people who consume our product with allergies. And, um, so yeah, that's been a good option for us. Yeah. That's so cool. The, the, you know, the last company I was at, we had, um, we had coconut, but no other nuts. And that was such a weird thing with like the FDA of like, well, we can't, it, technically it has tree nuts, but it's not really technically a tree nut. And like, yeah, it's just a whole thing. So that I thought that was so interesting when I saw the coconut oil, I was like, that's so cool. And like, we're a gluten-free household. My husband had always wanted to try Trader Joe's cookie butter and has never been able to have it because he's gluten-free. And so when this came, he was like all sad seeing out in the corner. He was like, cool, you ordered cookie butter for yourself like that I can't have. And I was like, no, you can have it. And he was like, wait, really? And he he was like, I claim this jar for myself. (laughs) So (laughs) I love um, that. Yeah. And I mean, our we self-manufacture too. So our whole facility is nut-free, gluten-free. Like we just make granola butter in there, um, which is nice for people who have, you know, really severe allergies. Yeah, for sure. And I'm wondering if you can kind of describe the stage that business is at as well, because for our startup CPG community, a lot of our founders are very early stage. And so I'd kind of love to hear, you know, kind of what what stage you're at as far as like kind of stores you're in, major, you know, how how many um, and kind of like kind of challenges that are top of uh, mind for you right now at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. So we started um, in March of 2018. So it's been about four years now, four and a half. And we worked on it, you know, for the first year, it was really just like a side hustle. Um, So I kind of don't really count the first year, but we made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot in that first year as everyone who starts their business out knows. So yeah, it's been about four and a half years. We're in, I think, just over 1,200 stores. Um, So Whole Foods, Sprouts, Harris Teeter, Fresh Market. Those are the big ones, Thrive Market. Um, And then of course, you know, Erewhon, Central Market, some of those like smaller chains. And um, yeah, we're at a place right now where, you know, we've really been focused on e-commerce for the first, I mean, up until very recently, honestly. And we're just starting to kind of pivot a little bit and or not pivot, but, you know, direct our focus more towards retail um, and growing that channel because, you know, D2C is my one true love. I I'm obsessed with e-commerce, but uh, I think it's obviously as a food brand, it just doesn't make sense for the long term for people to, you know, only buy your product on, you know, going especially to your website and buying granola butter. It's like just better to meet them where they're at when they're, you know, a busy mom and they're 
shopping for the week, it's just best to be right there on the shelf. So yeah, that's been our focus. And we have a team of about 30 people. Um, and most of those employees are production employees because we mm-hmm. sell manufacturers, as I'm as I mentioned, but our business team is probably, I think we have aside, you know, besides the three co-founders, we have five people on our business team. So pretty lean. Um, you know, we were, we're pretty bootstrapped. We've only raised like a small friends and family round, um, end of 2020, but yeah, we try to do everything super lean and, um, we don't try to overextend ourselves or, you know, spend a ton of mo- a ton of money if we don't need to. We do a lot of stuff in house. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm wondering if you can share a little a little more of kind of the the early beginnings which there there are definitely you've done so many amazing interviews, you know, sharing the story of of Oat House and like, you know, getting to see your Shark Tank episode, which I definitely hope that everyone, you know, goes and and watches as well. It's a, a great episode, but I'm wondering if you can kind of just take us a little behind the scenes as far as, you know, kind of your setup with your, your co-founders and just, you know, a a little more back in time at some of those, you know, maybe when you kind of were deciding, okay, it's time to, you know, quit our jobs, kind of take this full time. Some of those, those early moments where it really felt like it became, you know, a real solidified business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned, I mean, the first year was just like a shit show. Uh, we, (laughs) I was working in tech up in San Francisco, as was my co-founder, Eric, who is also my partner. We've been together for almost nine years now. And so we were both, you know, thriving in tech. I think a lot of, a lot of times in the entrepreneur world, people say, you know, oh, I was at this dead end job. You know, I hated my nine to five. That's why I started my company. And like my case could not be <laughs> the op- the more opposite. Um, I loved working in tech. You know, I was making way more money than obviously I do now as an entrepreneur. Um, and I really loved the stability. Uh, but I think I think what it really came down to was just I wasn't feeling super fulfilled at the end of the day. And it was, you know, I checked all the boxes on paper. But I think in my heart of hearts, I knew that I was basically working super hard for someone else's dream. And I really wanted to work for my own. And so when I had the idea for granola butter, this was September 2017. Eric and I, you know, I was doing like hundreds and hundreds of iterations in my tiny San Francisco kitchen and in my Vitamix. And I was just like whipping up all different combinations. And then I remember I had this little red VW convertible bug and I would drive around. I would call my friends and I would drive around and I would call them. I'd be like, come outside. And I would just like throw them a jar, you know, out of my car window. And like, they had no context. They didn't even know I was working on this. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, eat this and then text me in a few hours, like your feedback. And they were all just collectively like, this is so bad. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, wet sand? It was, like, I just remember everyone kept calling it like wet sand. They were like, what? Oh, no. This is so bad. And um, so just to show you, like the early iterations were terrible. And so Eric and I were like, we love food. You know, we have this awesome idea, but we really need help <laughs> making it happen and making it sellable, you know, because we were, we were at the point where we were going to have to pay people to eat it, not the other way around. Um, <laughs> so we actually had a trip planned. This is like, so the serendipity, we had a trip planned to Paris um, in September And so we're in Paris, you know, and we're sort of just like shooting the shit, talking about our idea. We're super excited about it. And we were like, who in our network, you know, is a chef or has some sort of culinary background? And Eric was like, oh my gosh, my friend Ari, who they went to summer camp together growing up. um, He was like, he's actually living in Paris right now, I think, opening a restaurant. And so we like look him up on Facebook and, you know, him and Eric were close growing up, but they kind of had lost touch. And so we reach out to him and turns out he is working at a restaurant in Paris. And so we meet up with him for a drink. We pitch him on this idea and the stars just really aligned because he was so just burnt out. You know, the restaurant industry, especially fine dining is so tough and so grueling. And he had worked at Michelin star restaurants and really just had gone through the ringer of the industry and was ready for a change. So he came on board actually as our third co-founder. And from, you know, by the time he moved back to the States, it was around Christmas time, 2017. And really from then until March, when we launched pre-orders, he was just working hard in San Diego, um, you know, coming up with our MVP and sort of our first um, recipe, which is the 
the spice blend that we use today for our original flavor. So yeah, that was like early, early days. Then I would say the first year um, when we were working on it nights and weekends as a side hustle, Ari was living down in San Diego and we had a commissary kitchen. So we were paying just by the hour to use the commissary kitchen. And we would, you know, Eric and I would fly down on weekends and we would produce granola butter. I mean, Eric and Ari and I made the first hundred thousand jars, I think ourselves before hiring our first employee. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of those were in Vitamixes. (laughs) So uh, I I still have like carpal tunnel and, you know, some, some wrist issues um, for making all those jars, but, and a little kitchen PTSD. Um, But yeah, I mean, we were so bootstrapped. Like we were literally, you know, shipping out of my parents' garage in the early days. I remember my dad was like always calling me like, when are you going to, you know, move these pallets that are on the side of my house? Like he was just like so, so pissed because there's always like, you know, broken down pallets of shit that we had used. So yeah, that was like early days. And then we outgrew the commissary kitchen. I remember the owner of the commissary kitchen was like, you guys need to find a new facility because you guys are like taking over this entire place. Um, so then we found about two or 3000 square feet down in San Diego, which is where Ari and I are both from. Eric's from Santa Barbara. And we were there for another year. And then we started to outgrow, you know, busting at the seams there. And then that was when we moved to Philly, which is where we are now. We have about 12,000 square feet here in Philly. um, And we're already outgrowing that soon. Um, Wow. Yeah. But we did the cross country move January of 2021. So January of last year, we moved cross country in the dead of winter during a global pandemic. And it was just as hard as it sounds. And yeah. And so here we are, you know, we, we make everything in house. Um, a lot of our business employees work remotely and we're just, you know, building a little community here on the East coast now. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, there's, there's so many things I, I want to dig into. There's a couple things I kind of want to ask, you know, present day, and then we'll kind of go back in, in time again. But one of them is, is, uh, because it's super relevant. It just happened. And you mentioned at the beginning, the brownie batter launch. And I think you've done such a good job with your e-com business and, you know, your social media. And so I loved like following the brownie batter launch. I think my brownie batter gets here like tomorrow or something. And I am just so excited. But, you know, there was like the, you know, I I text a number and then that number text me a password and a link. And then I like went to the link and I put in the password and I got to pre-order the brownie batter. And, um, it was just like, it was so well done. It was really cool. And, um, and then it's a collaboration flavor with uh, Jamila Jamil. And so I just would love if you could just kind of tell us a little bit more about like, you know, what was it like collaborating with her on that? How did you kind of decide to do like the password site? And like, how did it, you know, go? Um, you know, just would love to learn a little bit more about this recent launch. Yeah, totally. So this launch, I mean, it's actually, I'm really excited that you're asking about this because this type of launch, yeah, with like the early access thing, you know, the the SMS stuff, that's all super new for us. So that was sort of a experiment Mm -hmm. um, for us, which was really fun. But yeah, um, Jamila's amazing. I mean, she's such a badass. Um, So she tweeted about our product in October of 2020, I believe. Um, So about two years ago, and that was before we rebranded. And she just posted a picture of our chocolate flavor and was basically like, I forget exactly what she said, but like this stuff is amazing. And it was totally organic. We didn't even send her product. Like it was out of the blue. Wow. And I've, oh, I've been obsessed with her since I saw her on The Good Place. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Eric and I like binge during the pandemic. And, you know, I knew she also had a history of an eating disorder. She's super... Um, you know, as an advocate for body acceptance and radical inclusivity and food freedom and just everything that we stand for as a brand as well. So I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We also were raising our first round of funding, as I mentioned, that small friends and family round. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot. Like I'm going to find her manager on LinkedIn or Google and I'm just going to reach out and be like, hey, is she interested in investing? You know, I saw this tweet. Um, and so that's exactly what I did. And the stars aligned, you know, she was interested in investing. And um, so she came on and she is our social impact advisor, um, investor. And then we pretty immediately started talking about doing a collab flavor with her. And the chocolate was her favorite flavor of ours. And so we wanted to do a fun spinoff and something that was really decadent and yummy. So brownie batter was a pretty natural <laughs> option and alternative, yeah. you know, for that. 
So that's kind of where the, yeah, the backstory on the flavor. And then in terms of the launch, so yeah, the SMS, I mean, for us, we just have such a, you know, such a loyal, engaged audience. And I think sometimes it, I feel overwhelmed because I'm like, how do I harness this? Like, how do I, you know, it's, it's almost that feeling of like, you have this captive audience and they're just waiting for you to do something. You're like, Oh my God, I don't want to mess this up for, you know, I don't want to, like, I want to take full advantage of this. And so we've really been leaning hard into SMS. And I think it's just such a natural fit with our brand because we're so, you know, casual, we're very personable, we're very transparent and authentic with our community. And we also rely on them a lot for, you know, advice or um, we go to them with, you know, asking them for help on certain decisions. So we've been trying, you know, to really be um, intentional about building our SMS list. And so this felt like a really fun way to do that while also building hype. So really the idea was, you know, we were launching or we launched on the 23rd, which was yesterday. Oh my God, I'm like losing track of the days. Um, <laughs> so we, our actual launch was on the 23rd. And then we wanted to do basically, you know, a week before then, we wanted to announce the flavor and offer people early access. And so it's not rocket science, but it was just new for us to sort of figure out all the backend logistics and like how we had to make all this work. And so something that we realized was like, okay, we pretty much have to have everything ready to go. And we're basically just moving the launch up a week because um, we created you know, the product page, which was just like a password protected landing page. And then we just told people like, Hey, you know, do you want early access? Um, text the word brownie to this number, and then you'll get the secret password, which will basically unlock this landing page. And then they can purchase the brownie batter. The problem that we ran into, which is just like a heads up if other people want to try this is... Um, we, most of our customers do a build a box on our site so they can do like a three pack, four pack, six pack, and they just mix and match different flavors. So unfortunately we weren't able to do the build a box with the early access because we would have had mm. to basically add the brownie batter to the site, which obviously it wasn't live on the site yet. Right. So it wasn't a big deal. Like we just made it really clear on that landing page. Um, and people could just get one, three or six jars of the brownie batter. But we also figured like if people are super excited about early access, they probably just want the brownie batter anyways. Um, so that was just one little hiccup that we encountered. And then, um, yeah. And then we also ran Facebook ads or we're currently running them, but we really pushed the early access on Facebook and that was really great. We actually saw a pretty good ROAS there because I think it just made people feel, you know, like it was exclusive. It was just mm -hmm. it the ad apart from just a normal like buyer product. So that was kind of a cool little learning. And then, yeah. And then we also did a huge influencer push. Um, and for the first time ever, we did custom branded boxes. So that's something in the past that we haven't really shelled out for because we're like, they're expensive. Like it was over a thousand dollars for like a hundred boxes is really expensive um, to do like the color printed boxes. And we just figured, you know, we're partnering with Jamila, who's, you know, pretty high profile. Like this is a good time to test that out. And so really what our hypothesis was, was, you know, if, if these influencers, like if we look at once they post, they're posting the box itself and sort of more of like an unboxing experience more than the jar itself, then maybe it's worth it. Because, you know, if you just send them like a boring brown cardboard box, obviously they're not going to really want to do like an unboxing experience. Um, mm -hmm. But it's way, more, it's way more exciting and cute to do that with a branded box. And so, yeah, TBD, like we obviously people are still posting all this week, but that was something that we just tested for the first time. And I think just there's also things with e-commerce and just with a brand in, in general that you can't really measure everything. You know, I feel like I'm becoming from the tech world. I'm like, what's the ROI? Like, you know, what's our return? I try to measure every little thing. And sometimes it's just like, maybe we order branded boxes because the optics and because it makes our brand look elevated and put together and polished. And like, that's good enough. Obviously, like you want to be smart about things, but I'm trying to kind of loosen the reins on... <laughs> on the return on everything because there's certain things that I just think like you can't measure. So yeah, that was, um, so that was our brownie batter launch. And I think the, you know, again, like I don't have the final numbers and I can't say if that was, you know, we're going to do that again or not, because obviously I think it's also, you don't want to do that for every launch, but it was definitely something fun to try and experiment with. Yeah, for sure. And do you, 
would you say that there's been an uptick too of like since it's you know a celebrity collab with Jamila and like being able to use her picture and like the the imagery that you create around that do you think that has helped as well to kind of boost the the profile of this launch oh yeah for sure um and I think the biggest thing that was interesting which again time will tell depending on who ends up actually writing articles but we did a big PR push around this and it was crazy like you know, we don't have a PR team. We don't work with an agency. Um, I personally just think like you, if you could do it in-house, it saves a lot of money. And so like we'll periodically, if we have flavor launches or whatnot, I'll just have, you know, one of our marketing gals will do outreach and we'll get like some hits here and there. As soon as you mention a celebrity, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like Molly, who's our, our marketing gal, she sent me the list of, of reporters who were interested. And it was like, you know, People Magazine, Today Show, Bon Appetit, like all of the huge names that you're just like, New York Times, like you're just like dying for these names. And it's like, they just, you know, I don't know, they just like are in the palm of your hand because you have a celebrity on board. So that was really, really crazy. But again, like we'll see if any of them actually write an article or or do um, press around it. But yeah, I think, I mean, just having that sort of higher profile partner obviously helps a ton, Um, but it can also bring in customers that aren't really, you know, part of your demographic or people Mm -hmm. who, you know, it can bring in the trolls, it can bring in um, the haters, like it, it, it's not always a positive thing. So we were prepared for that too, because yeah, obviously it's just like more exposure you get, you're going to have haters (laughs) too. So we haven't had anything, but just staying aware of that. Yeah. Good to be, be prepared. So yeah, wow, that's super interesting. And I'm glad you shared about it. And yeah, it, it did. It felt so exclusive and fancy. And and I, I felt special going through the like checkout process. And I was like, Oh, I just feel yeah, I feel like I'm part of like an exclusive country club right now or something. But yeah. I'm ordering brownie batter. And uh, I can't wait to try it. I first heard about Oat House from uh, she's a fitness uh, instructor um, on Instagram that I love to follow. Uh, Lauren Lavelle Fitness and oh, yeah. uh, she, she I, she's always posting about Oat House and so that's where I first heard about Oat House and then she I had just messaged her in the last like I was she was like I got my brownie batter like yesterday and I was like oh my gosh I can't wait and she was like you are going to like love it so much so nice. can't wait to try it oh awesome that's so cool and I love that you mentioned the the branded boxes piece that's something that you know I think is it it is really expensive to invest in boxes a lot of times, especially with color and you're investing in plates and but the elevation to the brand experience. I mean, even the sample pack that your team sent me with just, you know, opening the box and then the inside of the flap said like, welcome to the oat house. And then, you know, it it was just it's like it's just it it really elevates the experience. Um, and uh, so that's that's really interesting that you just recently kind of decided to, to make that switch. Yeah, I mean, we... So like outside of the PR boxes in just our, you know, normal D2C boxes, we have um, like our three-pack boxes are branded, but then we put them inside of a USPS <laughs> envelope because it saves us like $4 a package, yeah. um, which is pretty significant. And then we... But then we have like the rate A, you know, box A, USPS boxes that will send certain places. And then our single jar boxes are branded as as well. So it just depends on where the box is going and the size, like how many jars. Um, so not everything we send out is branded, but I agree. Like it totally, it just legitimizes your brand and it makes the customer feel, especially if you're at a higher price point, like, okay, you know, this is worth it. And I think it gives that sort of false sense of, you know, higher quality or not false sense, the sense of like higher quality. But yeah, it's just I think it's one of those costs that as a small brand is harder to justify because of course, you're just like with every, you know, prices on everything are going up. So you're just like, where could I cut corners? Like, does this really matter? You know, people just throw this away. So it's sort of like, you know, devil angel on your shoulder and you kind of have to (laughs) weigh the pros and cons. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it doesn't have to be like all your boxes or every single part of your brand. You can have, you can order some for a specific product. You can, you know, whatever your most common box sizes or something, you know, it's not like you have to revamp everything to, you know, to try something like that. You could just start with, start with one piece of your business um, and, you know, see how, how that part of branded boxes or something like that goes. So I appreciate that you're, you know, that you're, open it about just kind of the different ways that you're you're trying different things. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's always the thing too, is like, 
what are you prioritizing? Right. You know, for us, it's like, we're not shelling out all this cash with, you know, a branding agency or a PR agency. And so, okay, maybe we have a little bit more wiggle room and more money to spend on boxes. So yeah, it's just like whatever as a brand you think is important to you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm also wondering, like your your Sprouts launch is, you know, fairly recent. Your Todd on your team did a really great video on Instagram kind of about like, you know, this is how we got into Sprouts. But I'm wondering if you can kind of talk about getting into Sprouts. I think you'd applied for multiple years before getting in? And then, you know, what did it look like to support that launch from a marketing perspective? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sprouts was so exciting um, because of that very reason. We have been trying to get in since, I mean, pretty much since we started our business. So I think we applied. Yeah. I think this was like our fourth time submitting. And finally, they came to us <laughs> and they were like, Hey, you know, we've seen the spins data, you know, everyone's telling us we should bring this in, like, let's chat. And so I think what that taught me was like, data really speaks because, you know, when we were in Whole Foods the first year or two, I think, yeah, just the first year, like our velocity was okay. Obviously they expanded us into, you know, four regions and they added a skew and like it was good enough for them to expand us, but it, we weren't like top of the category by any means because we're a new brand and we're a new product idea. And we're also, you know, we weren't putting any money into retail because we didn't know back shit about retail. So we were just like, oh yeah, we'll be on the shelf and people will see us and they'll buy it, right? Like that's how it works. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, and so I think it really took us the, you know, a few years with Whole Foods and some of our other retail accounts to really learn the ropes. And again, like I wouldn't go back and do it any other way because obviously we've learned a lot. But I think to save other people time who are listening, um, retail is expensive. And it's something that I think you really have to focus on and be ready for. And it's not something that you should just jump into willy-nilly because you have shiny object syndrome and Whole Foods comes to you and is like, hey, we want to launch you nationwide. Like I would just say pump the brakes a little bit. Um, and really, you know, make sure that you know your strategy and you have the the capital to support that. So yeah, we got to a place where we were cranking pretty well in Whole Foods and other stores velocity-wise and so I think Sprouts saw that and they were like, "Okay, we can, you know, we can test these guys out and um I think the risk was a lot lower when they saw how well we were doing in the other uh retailers." So then they came to us and then they wanted to test out our cookie dough flavor, which was interesting because we had never mm. done retail. And that was something that was super exciting to me because it was sort of our first test um, of you know our more decadent uh, flavors in retail. So that was fun. And that's been doing super well. I mean, who doesn't love cookie dough? But yeah. the, one, the one issue that we've run into there is you know the cookie dough has chocolate chips and obviously chocolate chips melt and it's summertime and so they pick up on a refrigerated truck but you know we've had oh my god we've had so many things where it's like <laughs> and I'm just I'm sure anyone with a refrigerated product is just like they feel this pain even more intensely like they're probably rolling their eyes at me because I have a shelf stable product but like you know so many times we've been waiting for you know the truck to come pick up and then they don't come and sitting in the hot warehouse and it's just like so mm -hmm. stressful so yeah so that's been challenging but we've been learning a lot there but on the marketing side with sprouts you know our goal was really again just to harness our online community um, harness the power of influencers so we did a really fun influencer push around Sprouts where we kind of played, um, you know, on the Sprouts gardening pun. And we basically sent influencers an empty jar of granola butter with soil in it. And it had little, you know, cute little packets of seeds. And then obviously we sent them like real jars of granola butter. <laughs> like the whole idea. And then we did a custom uh, label on that jar that had like, it was Sprouts, you know, logo and coloring. And it said like, we're sprouting into retail. And it basically, you know, we just were letting them know, like we don't pay any influencers, but we just send them product and we're like, hey, you know, we're launching into Sprouts. Like, here's some like free jar coupons. And then if you want to like share with your audience about it. And that was really nice because Sprouts is pretty much in every state. Like obviously there's areas in the US that it's not, but that was our first retailer because we're only in four regions of Whole Foods. So it was our first retailer where they really, you know, we felt comfortable just blasting to a bunch of influencers and like them posting about it and just being like, Hey, they're in Sprouts. And so, you know, more often than not people 
who follow them. Like they'll have a Sprouts nearby. So that was cool. So we did a big push there. We did a, a PR push again, which was great. And then what else did we do? Um, we've also been testing some like, you know, free jar coupons or $2 off coupons. And we've just been putting them in our e-commerce orders. Um, especially like, like if we see, we'll, so we have an in-house, uh, fulfillment team. And so we'll just flag to them like, Hey, you know, if you see any orders going to this, this area or this region, or we'll print them out and do like a dedicated push there, then they'll just put, um, free jar coupons or $2 off coupons in there. Um, we're also doing IRCs on jars. So just like trying a little bit of everything, you know, and then Todd's kind of working his magic more on the retail marketing side with shopper marketing stuff. We hired a shopper marketing consultant. Um, so yeah, we're just sort of, you know, really pulling all the different levers and seeing what sticks. And I think so far it's been working, just doing a little bit of everything, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're a scrappy team, so we try to do stuff just, you know, just, uh, just us. We don't really pay a lot for, for much, but we may have to, as we grow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's super interesting. And like, kind of speaking of like Todd on your team and like, you've mentioned a couple other team members, like, I want to talk a little bit about some of your like first hires that you made, like with, you know, you've got three, three co-founders and then, you know, what was your, your first marketing hire or your first sales hire? And then what were kind of some of the things you're like, all right, we need to hire someone for this area. We're going to hire our first person, like, you know, maybe kind of take us back to that time and like, you know, in marketing and sales, what that looked like, what you were thinking about. And then, you know, any learnings that you kind of had from that, that, you know, making that jump to bring people on the team. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hiring is, oh, it's, it's so stressful, especially in the beginning, because like, you know, you really, it's just you, or maybe it's just you and a co-founder and, um, it's very easy to control the culture <laughs> because it's just you. Uh, and so bringing someone else and someone new into the fold can be super, super daunting. And I totally get that. But then also you're doing everything yourself and you just reach this point where you're like, I can't do it anymore. I need some help. Um, so I've always felt, you know, after we hire someone like, holy shit, how was I doing all this myself? You know, why didn't I hire them sooner? And so I would almost, you know, urge people who are in the early days, like hire, not before you're ready, but don't wait too long because um, it kind of prevents you from growing the business, which is obviously most important as a founder. Um, So yeah, we, you know, our first few employees were production employees, of course. And then, um, but when it came to the business team, we hired, so Todd was our first business hire, who's our VP of sales. We hired him, I think March of last year, I want to say. Yeah. It was just a few months after we moved to Philly. And I think, you know, VP of sales was our first hire because I was doing all of our sales up to that point. And again, as I mentioned with Whole Foods, like we did not have any support for our retailers. Um, and we were just scraping by because our product is, you know, honestly is very innovative and kind of speaks for itself and doesn't need a lot of selling. Um, that said, like any product on the shelf needs support behind it in order to really succeed. So I wouldn't recommend that. Like we were, we were scraping by, but I just didn't have the bandwidth. You know, I was in the kitchen making the product. I was doing Whole Foods demos. Like I was doing it all. I was just running myself ragged. And um, I felt that having a VP of sales would be the perfect first hire because we really knew we wanted to focus on retail. And I felt like they could also lead a team on the retail side if we wanted to eventually you know, hire retail marketing or brand ambassadors or anything like that. So that was the decision behind Todd. And then right after, I think honestly, only two weeks after we brought on Lisa, who's our VP of marketing. And Lisa is like a Jane of all trades. So what I would recommend with with a marketing hire early on, um, like her title is VP of marketing, but she's not, you know, she's not a senior, you know, C-suite exec. You know, she's younger than me. She's in her mid 20s. Um, She had some experience, but she wasn't this like super experienced (laughs) seasoned marketing uh, hire. So, you know, everyone's obviously it's your choice as a founder. But what I wanted was someone who was a go-getter, someone who was scrappy, who was a self-starter, someone who was creative, you know, teachable. And so 
I really felt like this person could grow into the role. And also I think working at a startup, it's really helpful to bring people on who are, you know, not necessarily on the younger side. I don't want to be like ageist, but people who are willing to work and are willing to be scrappy. Because I think sometimes when you hire people who are seasoned and, you know, who have that experience they kind of been there, done that. And it's like, they don't want to get their hands dirty. <laughs> you know, they don't want to be in the trench. And I really wanted someone who was down with, you know, if we needed help shipping in the back, or if we needed help, so- if someone, you know, needed to pitch in and, and work the line and put put uh, lids on jars, like Todd was back there. Our VP of sales was back there doing that for us sometimes. So it's like, you just have to find people who are comfortable doing it all. So those were our first two. And they really, you know, were fine. You know, we kept we kept chugging along and didn't feel like we needed anyone else uh, for a while. And then we hired an influencer marketing manager and we hired Molly 10 hours a week to start just part-time to test her out. And her sole job was just reaching out to influencers and just sending out a ton of product. And that was like a huge hire for us because influencers are incredibly you know, integral to our marketing business. And so then we brought her on full-time because that was just working so well. And then we did a part-time customer service hire when we went on Shark Tank. And we ended up keeping her on. And now she is full-time customer service. And then most recently, we hired an art director, which is an interesting hire. So Jessica is our art director. And um, you know she basically was a Philly-based photographer. We were contracting with her and just doing a ton of different photo shoots. And then we were like, why don't we just hire her full time? She's super talented. She's local. Um, and so now she's, oh my gosh, just up leveling everything. Like we're, you know, our email flows, for example, like our emails were so shitty or they currently, they, you know, we haven't changed them yet, but <laughs> they'll be better soon. Um, <laughs> we were like literally using the Clavio, just drag and drop, you know, putting pictures in text box. And we weren't doing that like one big, like one long image that you see, you know, like more established brands doing mm-hmm. um, like graphic designers and stuff. And so she's like reworking our whole email flow. And it's just really nice having someone who is so talented and so creative because sometimes I think as a founder, you're so close to your brand that it's really helpful having someone come in with a fresh set of eyes who's also really creative that can help kind of up level in different ways. Yeah, totally. That's very helpful. And you know, we've recently kind of done a first hire uh, series on the show where we talk through marketing and sales and finance and ops first hires. And what you said really echoes what a lot of the other guests said of like, you know, someone that has 20 years of CPG experience at a Fortune 100 company, like that may be really great experience, but it may not be what you need as a emerging brand. You need somebody who can roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty and kind of jump around, you know, Swiss army knife, all, you know, trying and being part of all the different aspects of a, of a growing business. Yeah. And I think those people though, like the ones that have a ton of experience, you can find them and, and, um, you know, consult with them. Like, I think Mm -hmm. you don't have to hire them full time. And I think there is, I'm not like bashing on people who have experience because I think Obviously, the whole thing is that they save you headaches of you know having to learn these things and and they save you time and and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's just like they come at such a high cost and a high price tag. So either you could um, like one of our advisors is Jennifer Barney, who is the founder of Barney Butter. So you could either give up you know in our case a little bit of equity, and we have we consult with her. I think we meet with her once a month or twice a month and we have calls with her. And so people who are industry, you know, veterans, like it is super beneficial. So bringing them on as investors is a nice way to do it. If you don't have the capital up front to pay them, you know, six plus figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point that you can work. Somebody might not be the right fit to be a full-time at the business every day, but you may be able to use them for a really specific person on them. A purpose on a more limited basis or engage in, in just the right way in other in other ways. So yeah, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I'd also I'm I'm curious to you mentioned at the beginning, you know, your um you've been very open sharing about your your eating disorder and um you know your you developed a really robust Instagram following through sharing about that story and you know, I'll definitely, um, I definitely will share a link to your own podcast, Alleycast, which has some really great content that you've shared about. But I'm wondering kind of from a, you know, not, not too uh, recent past, if you'd be willing to share kind of about 
you know, some aspects of just, you know, your mental health and your mindset and how you prioritize that. Like I was listening to another interview with you where where you were kind of talking about after being on Shark Tank and kind of being in the, you know, in the spotlight, how kind of after that was kind of a big dip. And I was wondering if you could just kind of share a little bit about how you manage your mindset, how you kind of manage through that. Was there any learnings that you took? And, you know, kind of how do you how do you stay well as a founder that is clearly, you know, doing so much and your team is doing so much? How do you take care of yourself? Yeah. Oh, thank you, first of all, for asking this question, because <laughs> I feel like especially on a business focused podcast, it this question never comes up, but it's so I mean, it's, you know, instrumental to, to mm-hmm. how you function as a leader and, and as a founder and just show up in the world in general. Um, and I actually was just listening to a podcast. I can't even remember which one it was, but the guest was basically saying, you know, that he thinks we should spend more time training. Like he was talking about physical training and how everyone knows that it's good to, you know, work out and move your body. But he was saying like, we are in an epidemic where, you know, we need to spend arguably more time training our mind and Mm. our mental health than our physical health. Um, And it just is totally overlooked. And so, I mean, even with today where I feel like everyone's talking about mental health, it still is something to me that is under important. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think my, with the eating disorder stuff, I'm super open about that. I'm so grateful for the experience that I've had in the past. Obviously it was a really challenging, um, 10 year journey, but it led me to where I am today. And, um, I just find that the more open I can be about it, the more I can talk about it, it just gives people the space to share their own, you know, struggles and their own journeys. Maybe it's not even food related, but it just, I think that vulnerability helps other people feel comfortable sharing what they're going through. So I do, you know, I do love sharing about my story, but I think there is this interesting paradox of sharing your life on social media as I do. And yeah, like you mentioned with Shark Tank, you know, putting yourself out in the public eye and then also feeling really lonely at times. Um, I've definitely noticed that like the bigger that our brand has gotten and we're still, you know, a startup. So (laughs) we're not, you know, this like massive conglomerate, but I just have noticed that the more people have become aware of our brand, I get a lot of people coming to me and being like, oh my God, you're killing it. You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. And it's like, I, I don't know. It's, I mean... I agree that we're growing, but it's just this weird imposter syndrome that I think a lot of founders feel as you're kind of becoming into the public eye and sort of this loneliness that comes where, you know, people who see you from the outside are like, oh, they're killing it. You know, they're doing great. But the, the you know, more money, more problems, like the pressure, you know, mounts and now we have more employees, which is this weird paradox where it's like, you've always wanted growth. You've always wanted your business to succeed. But then as it does, you're like, oh shit, like this is something that I've always wanted, but now I have 30 employees to take care of and they have kids and they have families. And it's just this odd kind of battle that happens in my mind where I'm like, but I wanted this and I, I'm, I've worked so hard for this. And now that it's here, like it's not fulfilling me. Like this is an odd, an odd, you know, conundrum. And so what I've realized very recently, because I've been feeling, um, yeah, just sort of like at a crossroads where, you know, I wasn't feeling as passionate about what we were doing anymore and I was feeling kind of down and just in a rut. And I realized I am not in touch with our customer anymore. Like the bigger that we've gotten, I've pulled away from our customer because, you know, we outsource the Whole Foods demos and we outsource this and outsource that. And like, I don't talk to our customer at the end of the day. I'm not in our Instagram DMs anymore talking to people. And so, that was what kept me going in the beginning. That was what, you know, kept that motivation and passion and fire lit within me. And now I don't even see the person that I'm working so hard, you know, at the end of the day, eating our product. So that was a huge realization for me of like, you have to stay close to the customer. Um, And I think it's really easy as a founder to get, you know, tunnel vision and sort of caught up in like, email flows and, you know, raising money and, and shit that is important. But in the grand scheme of things, the customer is the most important thing at the end of the day. Um, so that's been a big learning for me. Other things, I think, you know, we've been doing this business for about four and a half years and I really have to, um, take a step back sometimes and remind myself, you know, it's not a sprint, like it's a marathon (laughs) and you have to act accordingly because I think there's times where it can feel like I'm sprinting a marathon and especially around launches or, you know, announcements or other things. 
but really building in, you know, that work-life balance. And I hate that word, but for me, what that looks like is incorporating fun into my life. Like, you know, I had this really crazy um, realization recently where I was like, I'm creating this, this brand that is encouraging other people to tap into their inner child. It's encouraging people to find joy and fun and play in food. And here I am working my ass off, having no fun, like zero. Like I can't remember the last time I laughed or I can't remember the last time, you know, it was just like the irony of that. And so I really made a conscious effort, you know, last month, the three co-founders, we flew to Belgium and we went to a music festival and we had the time of our lives. And let me tell you, it was like, pulling teeth trying to get my two co-founders there. They were like, we can't all go at the same time. You know, all the like, all the excuses were coming up for all of us of like, oh, we shouldn't do this. This is a super busy time. You know, this is irresponsible of us. And then we got there and we're like, we needed this. And so I think sometimes the default for a lot of founders is like grind, hustle, you know, be productive. But it really, the discipline comes when you kind of have to like force yourself as messed up as this sounds, but you have to force yourself to let loose. You have to force yourself to have fun because then you're going to get to this end goal, whatever your end goal is. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, I didn't live my life during this time. So that's been a really instrumental for me. And then the last thing for me that I think for my mental health has been incredibly profound is actually psychedelics. Um, and I was not, I've never done psychedelics before. I actually was introduced to them as an, you know, an option to heal from a recent, um, sexual assault that I started working through. Um, the assault wasn't recent happened years ago, but I started working through it recently. Um, and that's been incredibly profound just to view, just to put things into perspective and sort of view my life in a different way and through Mm -hmm. a different lens. So yeah, that's been really healing for me. So those are some of the things that I try to do, but it's a practice. It's not, you know, it's not something that comes easily to me. So I'm just like everyone else, you know, the last thing I want to do is meditate and sit with my thoughts in silence. But um, yeah, it's just something that I know is important. So yeah, wow. I can't, can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing about that and just, you know, being open. And it's, it's something that, you know, as Startup CPG, we just added a channel just devoted to like, health and wellness. And we're doing our first event um, around mental health for founders uh, in September. And so it's just something that we're seeing a lot in our community come up more of being like, can we talk about this? Because I feel like we get a lot of tips about marketing and ops and how to do these things. But at the end of the day, like, if mentally you aren't, you know, fit, like you mentioned about like having a physical fitness routine, like, you know, if you're not taking care of your mental health, then, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be a massive struggle. And also inherently being a founder of a company can, can be really lonely as well. And going through some of the growth aspects you mentioned. So that's definitely startup CPG. We're trying to create a little more community and just, you know, start talking about some, some more mental health topics. So I'm so glad that you, you're willing to share. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I appreciate you guys creating that because it is, that's like one thing I think that is so special about, especially the food industry. Um, obviously I can't speak for under other industries cause I've never been a founder of anything else. And after this company, I don't know if I'll ever want to do it again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's like finding people in your industry and finding, you know, other people who are maybe they're they don't have the exact same experience or the same product, but just going through the same type of journey, like that is so special and so important. So, um yeah, if you guys are cultivating that, you know, that's really really needed. I also, you know, kind of to end on, I wanted to ask you just a question about, you know, uh obviously I love questions as uh, as someone that interviews uh people frequently, but just in general, I'm a question lover. And I'm wondering if you have any guiding questions that you ask yourself or that like questions that you think through when you're kind of faced with tough decisions. It could be a business decision. It could be a personal decision. But I'm curious if you kind of have any things that you ask yourself and think through, because I I find it's helpful to find good questions and hear other people's good questions in life of how they because everyone has their own path that one, the right decision for one person might not be the right decision for another person. But sometimes the question will lead them each to their right answer. So just kind of curious curious if you have any guiding questions you use. Yes. Oh, this is a good, this is a good question. Um, very meta. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I have two, yeah, two things that one is not really a question, but more of a framework. 
um, for decision making. But the other one is a question, um, which is, is this going to matter in five years? You know, Mm. even, even, is this going to matter in a month, right? Like kind of, I guess, removing yourself and zooming out, um, can help a lot because sometimes with a big decision, um, if it feels really big or it feels really overwhelming, if you just zoom out, it's probably not that big of a deal. Um, and I find that as a founder, uh, you know, I'll get kind of caught in the day to day or putting out fires or, you know, dealing with little melodramas at work. And it's like, once I zoom out, I'm like, this is not a big deal. This is a waste of my time. So that's number first and foremost, I'm always asking myself, like, will this matter? And then I try to zoom out. And then the framework that I use for a lot of things, which is you can use with decision making, but more so, um, you know, tasks, to do lists, if you're feeling overwhelmed, or you have like a million things to do is putting things in this grid. And on one axis, it's importance. And then on the other axis, axis, it's urgency. So Mm -hmm. kind of labeling things. And I'm sure, I mean, this is pretty common, but this was actually new, you know, new to me pretty recently. So say it's like, you know, we need to post this giveaway post, right? And it feels like super urgent. And so it would be like super high on the urgency thing. But the importance is like, okay, well, it's a social media post, you know, it's not going to like make or break your business. Um, So just putting things into different buckets and um, and then based on where those buckets, you know, where it falls in, in a certain bucket, you can either delegate it or you can schedule it. Or if it's not important and not urgent, then delete it. Like don't yeah. you know, remove yep. it from your to-do list. And if it's urgent and important, like make that a priority, you know, and then delegate the other stuff. So that's been really helpful because sometimes I'll look at my to-do list and I'm like, I have a million things to do, but a lot of these, like I could either delegate or I could schedule for another time. So that's been, yeah, kind of a good way to, to categorize things for me. Yeah, that's great. Like, I think a lot of people have heard maybe of that framework, but I don't know if many people have put it to to paper. I've, the times that I have done it, I've been like, why don't I do this all the time? Like, this is such a useful exercise. So I'm so glad that you shared that that is a, is a framework that you really use. And because, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it can, it's so helpful. So that's, yeah. that's really great. I'm glad you shared those. Yeah. And one other thought that I had, too, is I don't know if anyone else um, is similar to me, but sometimes I'll, I'll find that I'll make a decision. And, you know, I, I'm pretty... I'm pretty impulsive. Like I I like to make decisions quickly and then move on because I just have so much going on, but I'll find that I'll make a decision and then I'll sort of let my emotional wave kind of run its course. And so maybe a day later or two days later, I'll look back and be like, shoot, like I actually didn't really want to make that decision or, you know, I would have done the opposite. And so I kind of found myself regretting my decision just because I was making it in a, you know, from a place of just wanting to get it over with. So mm. I'll try to, and that's not everyone. Like my partner, Eric is very good about taking his sweet ass time with making decisions and, you know, <laughs> factoring in all the different things. But then the downside to him is like, he takes so long that it's, you know, I don't know, he doesn't move very quickly. Um, so that's why we're a good pair. But, um, but yeah, but I think I've really been working on slowing down, you know, asking the person, who needs an answer from me? How much time do I have to make this decision is a good question. Um, because sometimes you'll feel that pressure, but in reality, you have a week, you know, or you have a few days. And so I think really sitting on something for at least 24 hours has been um, extremely beneficial for me and not regretting certain decisions. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's also a good, good reminder. And yeah, just it's also like, I'll, you know, when you really care about what you do too, like sometimes a lot of emotions will come up when something that's unexpected or that you're excited about or whatever. And it can be good, like you said, to just kind of feel the emotional wave, take a beat, and then, you know, really decide what you want to want to do next and kind of not just get caught up in the in the wave. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's a really great addition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, I definitely, I think everyone needs to head to the website, uh, order some brownie batter. So go to oat.house h-a-u-s i'm from a like german town where everything was like the hair house the coffee house h-a-u-s so i'm like oh house perfect and then go to on instagram it's oat.house as well um so i hope that you know hope that our uh, community goes and checks it out just beautiful instagram inspiration as well but you know hopefully gets some granola butter in their in their lives um but i'm so glad that you 
you know, came on the show today and shared with us. This has just been really wonderful. And, you know, our community is definitely cheering for you and probably uh, eating eating granola butter, or, you know, and going going to Sprouts and everything. So I'm just so glad that you're willing to share with us where you're at. And we're we're all excited to continue to follow along your journey. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone for, you know, giving me the space to share my story. And um, yeah, I just appreciate, you know, the opportunity. It's been so fun. Thanks for joining us. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.